I want to uh, share with you my thoughts from uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. Um, I wonder what uh, some of those who first re read these words understood when Peter writes of the great conflagration that would overcome not simply the world but the very heavens, everything, or the whole created order being burnt up with fire as God uh, appears to be Lord and Judge. Perhaps they would be familiar, those uh, of a Jewish background, with the engulfing of the world by waters, uh, as recorded in uh, the book of Genesis. Um, and they would certainly have recognised that the awesome power of God is able to do whatever he chooses to do. And several of the Psalms and the prophets Isaiah and Daniel and Micah and Zephaniah and Malachi all point to the same truth that this is how things will end. Since the dropping of the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945, humanity has lived with the possibility of self-inflicted obliteration. And the nuclear age has opened up the possibility uh, that the action of man could in some way trigger the events which are here described as the day of the Lord. The estimated number of nuclear warheads currently in existence has the potential to destroy humanity. Uh, pleasant thought. Uh, Russia, the USA, China, France, the UK have weapons, so do India, Pakistan, Israel is believed to have them, although they, they're keeping very quiet about it, and North Korea as well. And there are other countries that hold them on, on, uh, on the behalf of the USA. Um, various European countries uh, look after the USA's weapons. At one time there were 70,000 nuclear warheads, each could destroy half a billion people. Now they've negotiated down to around 15,000, if, if um, they're telling the truth, of course. Um, however, the day of the Lord is the day of the Lord. It's when he chooses to intervene. <clears throat> but even that is an event over which People continue to scoff and laugh at the whole prospect because they argue everything has stayed the same since the beginning, choosing to forget, of course, the, the universal flood. <clears throat> the world only thinks in terms of physical protection and survival, but the Apostle Peter's words focus on the moral imperative. And so <clears throat> my thoughts around how shall we then live, which is the title of a, of a book and a, a film series by Francis Schaeffer, uh, first published in 1976, which I know um, is well past the date of birth of many of you. How are we to live? And Peter simply says, we are to live holy lives and godly lives, in verse 11 of that, <clears throat> that chapter. Uh, 
to live a holy life. This is related to our horizontal relationships, our relationships with other people, because the, the proper translation of it might be holy conduct. So it's the way we interact with others. And holiness relates to, as we know, the idea of separation. And that sense of being in the world, but not of it. Remember Jesus prayed the night before uh, he met his death for his disciples and prayed that they would be kept in the world by the power of the Spirit. And Peter himself writes in his first letter and chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against the soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good work deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We're to live then godly lives, uh, holy lives and godly lives. And this relates to our vertical relationship, our relationship with God. And again, in his first letter, Peter writes this in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. So there we have, on, on the horizontal relationship with other people and our rela vertical relationship with God, to be marked by holiness and by godliness. That is the way to prepare for the day of the Lord, whenever that may happen. And he uses the term, I think Peter sometimes gets stuck in a rut, you know, and he, he says a word, he thinks, oh, that's a good one, and I'll keep using that. And so three times he talks about looking forward in verses 12 and 13. We're to be looking forward. And of course this is looking forward to that day of God, also called here the day of the Lord in verse 10. What the Old Testament writes also as the day of the Lord. It's the time of divine intervention as Lord and Judge of all the earth. And it will come unexpectedly, suddenly. Jesus himself predicted it would be so. And Paul, um, Peter speaks of that right now. That in um, verse 10, it will come like a thief. Will come when people are not prepared, not ready. But we must be looking forward to that time. You might think, well, considering how Peter describes what that day is like, who could look forward to that? Who could look forward to that universal conflagration, that great burning up of all things? Can we honestly look forward to that? Why do we look forward? It's because of what it will mean, what it will bring about. Because the fire will cleanse 
and renew. And what will be left behind is, is what God will then work into a new heaven and a new earth, described here as the home of righteousness. It's that, it's almost like the Garden of Eden all over again. It's the beginning again. It's the opportunity for everything to start where righteousness is the mark of everything that happens. So that's something to look forward to. Yes, all the, there's all the horror associated with the sudden, uh, as it were, arrival of, of the heavens split open and, and Christ in all his glory attended with all his angels. But that brings in such hope for us, a new heaven and a new earth. Again, it's there in the Old Testament and in the New. When I was, um, I just passed my 13th birthday, when, not that I realised it at the time, but there were two events in one day that nearly caused an outbreak of nuclear war. Um, it was during the Cuban Missile Crisis. I have not a great deal of knowledge about that, apart from Russia were going to plant their nuclear warheads on Cuba, which was only 90 miles away from the coast of the United States. The United States therefore put a, um, a blockade all the way around Cuba of all their shipping to try and stop the, the Soviets from bringing anything in. And uh, on the 9th of, uh, no, 27th of October in uh, 1962, an American airman took off in his spy plane in Alaska and the Aurora Borealis was so brilliant that, that night, it knocked out all his instruments and his plane went over into Soviet territory. Well, you can imagine what happened, you know, up they sent their, their aircraft to intercept, but he, he was completely oblivious to where he was. And what was worse, his fuel started to, to run out and he had to use his plane almost like a glider and fortunately landed in the American sector and therefore that crisis was over. But the very same day, someone on the, uh, the blockade of these ships decided just to check that there wasn't a, a Russian submarine uh, down below. So they dropped down a depth charge. And there was a Russian submarine <laughs> below. And the response of the captain was, here is an attack. We must respond. And they had nuclear warheads on their submarine. And, but there were three people required to do something about it, to all agree, as it were, that they should press the button. And the number two in command refused to, to follow the instructions of his captain. He said, we need to find out more about this, whether this is just a warning shot, so let's surface and contact Moscow for more information. And uh, so, two events on one day. The very next day, Khrushchev and Kennedy signed 
an agreement to actually end the Cuban Missile process, or certainly begin that process of everything becoming uh, less fraught. In 1963, as a result of that, Switzerland decided that every newly built residential property should contain a fully equipped nuclear bun bunker in its basement. So public shelters should be built for those living in older properties. And so over the next few years, they built enough bunkers to allow 114% of the population of Switzerland to have a place of safety. Now even you and I know that you know, more than 100% means that they were allowing opportunity for people who happened to be in Switzerland at the time to run to a place of shelter. And uh, so, you visit friends in Switzerland and you'll find that they, they have their bunker under their home and they, they use it to store things. They're supposed to keep a certain um, month's supply of food there and uh, most people now use them for slightly other purposes. But there, there were some underground uh, places capable of housing 20,000 people for four months, already and equipped. It has been said that the only survivors of a global nuclear war would be a few world leaders, cockroaches, and 8.6 million Swiss. <laughs> Now, I checked out the cockroaches one, and actually it's a fallacy. <laughs> but the others may well, may well survive. And so, we managed to get through that sort of crisis, and that's how Switzerland prepared. But the emphasis here in Peter is, you know, not to, not to prepare, as it were, in the physical realm, but in the moral realm, that we should be ready to meet with God. We should be ready for the, the arrival. When I was at Bible college, I woke up one morning uh, to find that on the news they said that, and again, a nuclear war had only just been averted. It was the 9th of November, 1979. There was a computer technician who decided to run a nuclear war simulation program through the system, the NORAD computer system. Whether he didn't tell his colleagues or not, I do not know. But he was running this program, therefore all the alarms were going off and everything. And people just assumed that it had started and they had to respond. And it, it was some while before they came to realise what had happened. But we came again to the brink of nuclear war. And then on the 26th of September 1983, there was a, a Soviet guy in a bunker uh, somewhere uh, just keeping an eye on what might be happening, what might be coming out of the United States. And apparently, the glint from a bright sunlight off a cloud over Montana caused all the alarm bells to go where he was operating. And everybody else around him went into panic. And he thought, 
I don't know about this. I don't think the Americans have, uh, have triggered off the, the, uh, the war. Um, because he said, well, the measurement on my, my system is only, there are only five nu nuclear warheads. I'm sure they would throw more than five at us if they were going to attack us. And the other thing is they, they're coming from Montana. You know, they, they, they don't even have anything out, out there. So it must be a false alarm. And he convinced everybody that it was a false alarm, as indeed it was. So there were four occasions there when I narrowly missed nuclear war, and possibly you did as well. Coming back to Peter and this moral imperative, he says in verse 14 that we must make every effort to be ready. To make every effort is quite strong. Again, in earlier in 2 Peter, in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, make every effort to add to your faith. If you know anyone who ever does, a, 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 like preparing a sermon series for a church, that might be a useful place to, to start from, because it says, make every effort to add to your faith, and gives the various qualities that you might add to your faith, so that in the end you will have a glorious entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Now I know that won't be here, because our emphasis this year is on going out, but uh, it may well be one when we're thinking about how we can uh, so live and build ourselves up in our faith. And he writes also in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 10, Be all the more eager to make your calling an election sure. He says in verse 12, I will always remind you. I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will be able to remember these things. So P Peter is himself making every effort to pass on this warning. And he wants his readers to make every effort to make sure that they are ready for the day of the Lord. And he says a remarkable thing in, in that reading that we had. You ought to live holy and godly lives, verse 11, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That concept of speeding the coming of the day of the Lord is the same word as making every effort. Now some of us have the mentality that the day of the Lord is a fixed day, nothing can change it, it will happen when it happens. Peter says, you can speed that coming, you can bring it nearer. Didn't Jesus himself teach us that we should pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Did he not encourage us to pray for the coming of the kingdom in all its fullness, in all its power, in all its glory? But we also um, have Jesus' words where he says that the gospel will be 
spread, spread throughout the whole world to all nations and then the end will come. So how can we speed the coming of Christ by getting out and going out with the gospel to make sure that it spreads by every means available to us. We are to make every effort to promote and encourage God's work and the spread of the gospel. So this is what we should be engaged in and making every effort. And what are we particularly in verse 14 to make every effort about being spotless and blameless? Now you will have heard of those two terms in relation to those Old Testament sacrifices where a perfect animal was required. And those are the two words used to describe that perfect sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ in his substitutionary death. He was the perfect sacrifice for sin. But we too are to be spotless and blameless in, in our standing before God. How can that be? It is only by embracing Christ by faith. And these terms spotless and, and blameless relate to our ongoing service and our worship to God. When Paul writes, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. So we're to make every effort to be spotless and blameless and to be at peace with him. Verse 14. Our standing before God must be one where we are at peace with him. Through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5 verse 1. So how can we make ourselves ready for the day of the Lord? And again, it's a matter of our moral uh, qualities and we are to make every effort. We can't just sort of sit back, as it were, drift. You can't drift into holiness. You can't drift into um, what God requires of us, a blameless life. It has to be uh, with great effort. The last time that I came near, near to being obliterated was um, also in 1983, the 7th to the 11th of November, when the USA uh, ran an exercise uh, called Able Archer 83. And it was so realistic even though it was just a sort of a dummy exercise, it was so realistic that the Soviets were on maximum alert throughout the whole time. They fully expected that it was going to suddenly uh, turn, that, that the Americans were playing a game with them and they'd suddenly attack them. Well, I have survived so far. I don't know how many other opportunities there have been for me to have been obliterated. But while I wait for that opportunity, I prepare in the way I live and serve the Lord. 
My final thoughts are uh, around the last couple of verses that we have in this chapter. We are also to be on the defensive because there will be those who, who are described here as lawless men uh, who might carry us away by their error. So we are expected to be on our guard against false teaching about those who would pull us away from our standing in Christ. There are those who would want to take away our liberty in Christ. There would be those who want to say, I have a new revelation, uh, follow me, do this, and uh, you will be uh, better off with God than you are now. Peter also says in his first letter, The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. And he writes those famous words, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What's the counteraction of that? Is to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour. This is the progress that we need to be making. Because it's to do with our knowledge, we may have to grapple with Scripture, with those difficult things that Paul wrote. Peter's, even Peter confesses that Paul wrote difficult and hard things to understand. But the way to grow in our knowledge and to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is to put our mind to these things. Well, there we are. This is how we are to live in readiness for the coming of the Lord.